Hey there, Hang Up listeners. You're about to hear a preview of this week's episode of our show. The coronavirus pandemic has made it a challenge for us to do Hang Up in a financially sustainable way. Because of that, we're temporarily changing how we do the podcast. Every other week, the full Hang Up and Listen will be for Slate Plus members only, with just the first segment available to non-members. If you want to hear every word of every episode that we do, you need to subscribe to Slate Plus. It's only $35 for the first year, and your membership will help assure that we can continue doing Hang Up and Listen for a very long time. If you want to subscribe, go to slate.com slash hangupplus. That's slate.com slash hangupplus. Thanks so much. The following podcast contains naughty language. Hi, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor and the host of Slow Burn Season 4. This is Hang Up and Listen for the week of June 15th, 2020. On this week's show, we're going to talk about the NBA players who, for social justice reasons and or pandemic reasons, are pushing back against the idea of restarting the pro basketball season. We'll also discuss how football players at the University of Texas are banding together to demand changes at their school and what that means for athlete empowerment at the NCAA level. Finally, Clinton Yates of The Undefeated will join us for a conversation about the meaning and the impact of NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Hello from Washington, D.C., where a mere 20 minutes away from me by car, 90 minutes on foot, resides Stefan Fatsis, author of the book Word Freak, in a few seconds of panic. If I started walking now, Stefan, I would certainly hope we were finished taping by the time that I got to your house. Then we could wave at each other. Does the 20 minutes include like parking? It doesn't take that long to get from me to you, I don't think. I don't trust Waze or whatever you're using. I can get there in 15. <laughs> With us from Palo Alto, California, a mere 43 hours by car and 923 hours by foot. Slate staff writer and the host of Slow Burn Season 3, Joel Anderson. How come you haven't made the 923-hour trek to come see us, Joel? I feel a little uh, deprived. Yeah, I mean, when I left D.C., this is where I came. I already did that drive once. I'm not doing it again. 43 hours or? Well, actually, it took two weeks. Uh, we stopped. <laughs> we, went, we went to Boston, Buffalo, Syracuse. We, I don't, I'm not going to re- retrace the road trip for you, but we went up, down, back up again, and then crossed into the you Bay You weren't area. going for speed. No, no. I wanted, to see, I wanted to see the University of Wyoming's football stadium, which I did, and I ran on it, and I took a picture with their cheerleaders, believe it or not. There you go, Stefan. It's not always the fastest way. Sometimes you got to stop and take a picture with the Wyoming cheerleaders. I'm going to stop at the University of the District of Columbia the next time I come to see you, Josh. (laughs) Right around their track. On Friday night, more than 80 NBA players joined a call to discuss the plan brokered by the league and the players' union to resume the season in Orlando at the end of July. The Nets' Kyrie Irving, who's vice president of the Players Association, was reportedly the most vocal player on that call. According to Shams Charania of The Athletic, Irving said, I don't support going into Orlando. I'm not with the systematic racism and the bullshit. Something smells a little fishy. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are targeted as black men every day we wake up. The Lakers' Dwight Howard also released a statement saying that basketball isn't needed at this moment and will only be a distraction. 
Joel, ESPN reported on Monday that there's no indication that the NBA's return is in jeopardy or that there's even a significant group of players ready to sit out. But there is at least a conversation happening. What do you make of that conversation? Where do you think it's headed? Well, I mean, I think it's funny that, you know, a week after we described the NBA as a model for labor peace that we're here, right? Yeah. And uh, I get where Kyrie and Dwight are coming from. I truly do. I don't want to malign their motives or um, their ideas. And I'll grant them that they seem sincere in their desire to devote this moment to social activism. And like, even during this time, we've seen players become citizens in in their own right, like joining protests, speaking out against police abuse and systemic anti-Black racism. Like that's what happened in the NFL the other week. And all this stuff that's happening right now seemed unfathomable even two years ago, right? But a couple things. Okay, let's do it. Let's cancel the NBA season. What do Kyrie and Dwight plan to do specifically? What have they been doing? And most importantly, how long do they think they'll put the games on pause until it's okay to play again? Like, where's the finish line in the fight for justice? And it just seems to me like this is an ongoing battle, just like we had Mike Brown, just like we had Sandra Bland, just like we had George Floyd, just like we had Rayshard Brooks. Like, there's no one law, no one foundation, no one organization that will solve these entrenched issues. And so... It's great. They play basketball, which assists them in having the platforms of money to contribute to these causes, something they can do while playing basketball. And I think the point that you made there that, you know, or or the reporting that shows there's no real movement to stop playing basketball. I think that's where we're at. We're going to be playing basketball within a few weeks. And, you know, this will just sort of be noise in the end. Yeah, um, I think what is making this more potent in the moment are the optics of how the basketball season is resuming. You're talking about taking all of these players on the 22 teams that are going to participate in this year-end tournament, basically, and isolating them in one place, basically in an encampment. And the optics of that are not great, I think, for some players. And I can understand why. It restricts their freedom of movement. It's going to restrict their ability to do certain things publicly. There will be no fans in the stands when they start playing to give them a a, a more visible and emotional platform during these games. So I completely understand why COVID is complicating the response to this. I think if there was no COVID and we weren't talking about taking all these players and and, and, you know, putting them inside a hotel and a gym at Disney World, there wouldn't be this pushback. So I think that isolation is compounding the concerns among some of the players. Patrick Beverly, the uh, perennial pest, tweeted out um, the other day, Hoopers say what y'all want. If King James said he hooping, we all hooping. <laughs> Not personal, only business. Hashtag stay woke. Uh, there's something to that. LeBron James, based on what he said and all of the reporting we've heard, is not on board with any plan to sit out. He just launched this group called More Than a Vote. Trey Young of the Hawks is also involved. That's uh, a voting rights group. LeBron, and rightly so, believes that playing basketball will not at all impair his ability to do the kind of social justice work that he wants to do. He also wants to win a championship. Um, Joel, I mean, how much do you think that, you know, what what Patrick Beverly is, is saying is right, that where LeBron leads, the rest of the league is going to follow? 
I think that's mostly right, but I think it's because LeBron has enough allies within the players' union and amongst the players that that gives his voice some heft that somebody like Patrick Beverly does not have. I think it's having Chris Paul, the president of the Players Association, on his side is just sort of indicative of where this is going to go. I don't think that the Players Association did this without considering lots of differing viewpoints and hearing, you know, dissenting voices or whatever. And I'm just kind of surprised that this is coming out now. And it does make me wonder, to some extent, even though I said that I wasn't, you know, doubting Kyrie's motives here, that, you know, Kyrie, LeBron, they broke up in sort of a weird situation a few years ago and maybe they're not all the way back on the same page and this is sort of a way to needle LeBron I mean the thing is like maybe I would feel differently if Kyrie was better able to articulate a coherent argument for not being able to play and advocate for social justice at the same time right Kyrie has had some unusual beliefs in his career so I think there is also (laughs) a let's consider the source here like 80 players uh, joined the call reportedly, which is like 20% of the league. That's not a big number. Um, so I think that there are prevailing ideas here that are embodied more by LeBron. Number one is players have generally have a larger platform when they are playing. Um, even I think if it's in front of no fans. Um, there are going to be media there. There's going to be tremendous attention on these games. They're going to have a virtual monopoly on ESPN and Turner and the other outlets that broadcast the NBA. Um, and that's a platform. You know, you mentioned platform in your in your in your first comments, Joel. Once you get the the TV cameras turned on, yeah, there's going to be focus on the wins and the losses, and those are going to seem slightly less significant in the broader scheme of what's going on in America right now. But fans are fans, and they're going to want to still see the outcomes of the games. And, and you know, and people can, can balance these two ideas in their head. They can march in the streets and continue to support social justice while also deciding whether they want the Lakers or the Clippers to win the NBA title. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And here's the argument that Kyrie and or Dwight could make that would be compelling. Like, you know, a lot of things have changed since we saw NBA on March 11th. You know, when the NBA suspended the season on March 11th, it signaled that we were on the precipice of something really bad. And not even a hint at the disaster it's been since then. We just knew, wow, this is serious. And that's why, like, as I've mentioned a lot here, I think a return to games, this return to normalcy is ultimately a bad thing. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. We're still going through this. Like, we're not even through the first wave. Like, there's no second wave yet. We're still through the first wave. And so just how the NBA signaled that this was something to be reckoned with back in March when it suspended the league, returning to the court signals something else, that we're pushing past what is like a national tragedy. And that's what Kyrie and Dwight could say. COVID is disproportionately affecting Black people, Black and brown people in this country. We don't want to play in the middle of a pandemic. We don't want to give people the idea that 
it's okay to continue in the middle of this. We want to do something else. That is a great argument. What Kyrie is and the White are arguing is that, well, people need to focus on social justice. I mean, that's just not quite as compelling, nor is it like sensical. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the question then is like, what's the end point and what's the end game? I mean, we're going to talk in our next segment about the players at the University of of Texas. And I don't want to like step on our conversation there, but there's a specific list of things that's being asked for there. And the question would be, what are the markers to hit to get basketball back again? If you're not going to play now, if things are not okay now, like what is the set of demands or what is the set of requests? And that is something that's not clear here. And I think it would be really hard to make clear. I think, you know, not to be too depressing, but like, you know, systemic racism isn't going to end like, uh, you know, next month or next year, two years from now. Like if you, if, if that's the goal here, we're never going to play basketball again. So you also have players like Donovan Mitchell, who was on this call, who expressed, I think, reasonable concern, but self-interested concern about, are we going to you know, are, are players going to be at a higher injury risk after this long layoff and then coming back and playing really intensive playoff style basketball? Mitchell is up for a max contract extension. And then you have, you know, players who are going to be concerned about their health, you know, because of COVID or because of family members who are at risk. I know Joe Ingalls, um, that's, that's been an issue for him because of a, a child of his with a compromised immune system. So, you have a lot of different players with a lot of potential reasons to be skeptical of this plan or to not want to play. And I think, you know, as you alluded to, Joel, when we were discussing this last week, all we saw was the like 28 to nothing player rep vote, which very clearly elided a lot of kind of difference of opinion that that was papered over. And so it's it's good at least now to see that there is a little bit more complexity and there are a lot of different constituencies and arguments here that were erased in that initial round of coverage. Yeah, I think that is an important point to make because what if what this does, if anything, is it pushes the players to be more aware if they're going to play and to come up with some sort of plan. Um, it was a Garrett Temple no, noted that, look, we are we are wealthy black Americans, and the difference in the economic gap between white America and black America is astronomical. That's a direct quote. Um, I can't in good conscience tell my brethren to throw away millions of dollars in order to create change that I don't see the direct impact of. If there was a direct impact of laws changing, that would be a different story. And I think what, you know, what players can do is use their economic power and use their ability to unite and come up with specific plans, proposals, foundations, efforts that they want to support and use that as use the megaphone of of Orlando as a way to do that. I mean, no matter what the NBA came up with, there were going to be complications here because of the disease and the pandemic and because of the differences in opinion among players. Um, but there is a shitload of money at stake here, and that is not to be dismissed lightly um, either. Yeah, I mean, if players don't play, then owners could cancel the collective bargaining agreement, which would then force the, a renegotiation at a time when it would be extremely unfriendly to players. Um, you, nobody 
in the universe wants to be renegotiating a contract right now during a pandemic when revenues are down for everything. So that I think, uh, you know, more than anything else is reason why this is not going to happen. It would just be financially catastrophic for everyone involved. Not to sidetrack the conversation, but the Dwight Howard aspect of this is so interesting to me. Like Kyrie, I think we've gone through the Kyrie-ness of this. And we should also note, Kyrie isn't playing this right. season no matter what. Like he's out injured. And so he he's an odd spokesman for this because, um, you know, what, what would he be giving up personally? But the Dwight Howard thing, like his career was in a total shambles. He comes back in the Lakers. Everybody thinks it's going to be a bad idea and he's going to like ruin the chemistry on that team and he won't be any good. It's gone way better than anyone could have possibly expected. He's been good for the team. Everybody's liked the contribution that he's made. It's a chance for him to win a championship, um, change the narrative about his career. And yet he comes out now and is like, I don't want to play. I find that very interesting. He's not in the like top 300 people I would have guessed would have come out with that kind of statement. Yeah, I mean, I think that you mentioned it, changing the narrative. I mean, you know... Not a without, guy who's, like, been really known for social justice. Well, either. right. And I mean, you know, he kind of has a reputation for being duplicitous and insincere. Um, and there's some other things that I probably should not allude to here, but, I, you know, things in Dwight Howard's wikipedia page that would make you question you know sort of his commitment to you know, <laughs> to being some sort of like you know social activist or whatever so you know i could see him thinking this is just a really low risk stance to make right here we're going to play anyway and i could come off and you know oh man you know what i didn't want to do this i when i started out this segment i said i wasn't going to malign their interests and i said that i thought they were <laughs> sincere and here we are by the end of it i've already changed my mind but i mean it's just kind of yeah right, you're right though i mean it's just kind of hard to overlook it, like, a journey joel yeah right i mean I've, I'm, I'm opening my mind to new ideas here right marketplace of ideas yeah i mean the thing yeah it's just you know dwight howard man he's a different dude and you i, I haven't heard him talk about anything like this you know maybe maybe i've missed it i'm sure that he's given voice to something oh you know what he did tweet once in support of palestine i remember that now now that now that i think and then he had to delete that tweet so maybe this is him you know tentatively putting his you know his voice out there and seeing what people say i mean this is like a low risk you know stance to make knowing that his teammate is going to make him play like he's on lebron's team they're going to be playing so one of the most direct statements about whether NBA players should do this was from Steven Jackson, the former player and friend of George Floyd, who's been uh, leading protests and taking a big role here. Let's play a little bit of what he said the other day. None of these white owners have spoken up. None of them, none of them are taking a stand. Yeah, they might post a video when the season starts saying what we should do, but they ain't doing nothing. Playing basketball ain't going to do nothing but make them money and take the t attention of what we fighting for, what we marching for. It's bigger than all of us, and it's bigger, it's big, it's bigger than the game, and I'm, I'm, it's sad that we still got to explain that to people, bro. Sad. I mean, the, the, the interesting point he makes there, Joel, is that where are the owners? And can the players use playing to you know, go against what Steven Jackson's saying a little bit to get their owners to be more aware and outspoken and do something. Right. No, I mean, they are in a position to where they can get the NBA to make the sort of statements that the NFL 
has made and that their owners have not made, right? Like they have a much better relationship with their management class or their ownership class. So yeah, they could make some demands and ask them to do some things and donate some more money or whatever. Um, and it's just sort of interesting that in the middle of all of this conversation about it, like I haven't heard that. I don't, maybe I missed the reporting where they made demands of the owners or whatever, but I have not heard that. So I think it's kind of interesting that it's centered around, hey, man, we don't want to take anybody's attention off of it, but they haven't made any demands. Something that college students have done and something we'll talk about in the next segment, obviously. That was a preview of this week's episode of Hang Up and Listen. To hear the whole thing, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash hangupplus. It's only $35 for the first year, and your membership will help sustain our show. That's slate.com slash hangup plus. Thanks so much. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., On Tuesday, May the 14th, my colleague Mark Joseph Stern and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs> 